Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Today is a November 14th edition of the MSP Initiative, MSP Talk, and we are still recovering from Florida. Um, it's been, it was a absolutely crazy week last week in Orlando, and uh, we're going to talk all about it in a moment. Uh, but uh, yeah, still, still absolutely recovering. And, um, you know, I'm sure I'm not the only one. <laughs> MSPinitiative.com. This is everything that we do, guys, right? You're going to find <laughs> this session, which is being recorded, and every other session we have ever done under sessions. It is in both podcast and video format. Don't hesitate to go back and rewind. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these that go back till 2020. Um, Community Minds, we, we actually got one of these off here in 2023. We have this and many other things planned for 2024. Um, so stay tuned. You know, we love the community events. We know Channel Strong Tour was very popular during the pandemic. We flipped it into an educational format. And I think you guys um, who experienced it absolutely loved it. We have one on the East Coast, one on the West Coast planned for 24. Stay tuned. We'll, we'll you know, explain that and all of the other block parties we have planned for in 2024. There are quite a few of them that were uh, potentially kind of penciled into the schedule I know these are absolutely, you know, memorable and fun um, and time consuming <laughs> to put together. Um, that being said, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone that was involved in the uh, the block party this year in Orlando uh, this past Wednesday. It was absolutely amazing. We have already posted an album of 189 photos on the MSP Initiative Facebook page. Go check them out. Tag yourself. Tag your favorite vendors, your company. Um, you know, this was absolutely a blast, guys, right? We got that outdoor music festival vibe um, that we were after for, for many, many years. Um, the weather cooperated this year. No hurricane, no wind, no rain. Uh, it was absolutely a beautiful night. So go check out the photos. They're awesome. Uh, there's, you know, almost 200 of them. There's like a recap video coming out later on today. Um, the team, you know, like Ezra Ray Hart did absolutely amazing, right? So better than Ezra, Ezra Sugar Ray, Tonic. Man, they really just rocked it uh, into, you know, midnight, uh, which was absolutely awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you for coming out here. You know, we plan to do more of these, and we hope that you had a great time. Um, that being said, uh, community offers, you know, we'll be adding more of these as people raise their hand and want to do hookup deals for the community. And the industry calendar is literally the Excel spreadsheet that's bubbling for 2024 is bursting at the seams. There's like 300 you know, channel events just here in the U.S. this year. I expect similar or more uh, in 2024, which means there's just so many to choose from. But we'll put all of our homework in one place just so that um, you guys have the same same set of data we have, if nothing other than to keep some semblance of what's going on. That being said. Our special guest for today uh, is Brett from Zorus, who has a pretty cool story. We're going to get into it in a little bit. But Brett, man, IT Nation week. Um, hope everybody had good shoes. I hope there was like some water in between uh, all those alcoholic beverages. Um, it was a busy week, man. How did it go for you? It, it went really well. And um, all the standing, all the walking, I definitely got my steps in, that's for sure. Uh all the social activity and, and networking and just being able to see, you know, I've been part of the channel for, you know, since 2004 and it's just crazy to see 
so many people still around and then all the new faces and you're always talking to somebody. So I, I got home on the weekend and I just kind of zombied out. I didn't want to even talk to my wife. <laughs> I was just sitting there like, okay, I think I'm done talking. She's like, how was your week? I was like, it's good. <laughs> like, ask me next week and I'll tell you all about last week. hundred uh, percent agree. Um, you know, it's like the event that kind of anchors the end of the year. Um, you know, actually didn't get a chance to uh, get over even to all of the things that were happening on site at IT Nation. Uh, you know, there's just so many things going on, like you almost can't get to everything. Um, but man, you know, really love the conversations, love the people. Um, you know, it's almost like you got you to gotta circle that one on the calendar every year. Uh, I surely do. And um, man, the weather really cooperated this year, right? I know last year was a little bit bumpy, right? They shut down the airport. You know, it was like definitely rainy and uh, not what we wanted to have during that week. But hey, you know, Florida weather. Um, this this year was the exact opposite. Uh, couldn't have asked for better for better weather in Orlando. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm located down here in Tampa, so uh, I, I got to taste the weather before IT Nation, and it was already cooling off, and I was like, oh, this is going to be one of the better IT Nations where the outdoor parties actually work out, and, you know, the concert was great. I was at the MSP Initiative concert, and you're right, they absolutely crushed it on stage, uh, and being able to kind of, you know, sing with my horrible voice, you know, but they were loud enough so no one heard me, uh, but it was it was a great time. But yeah, I yeah. Mean, it was beautiful I, 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 they, I mean, the audiovisual guys definitely cranked up the volume. I'm pretty sure they heard that down the street. I know we definitely had some people like on the curb listening from behind, because uh, <laughs> it was loud. But yeah, man, that was absolutely amazing. Uh, a lot of people asked me, they're like, "How did these three bands like play?" And I'm like, "Well, they actually played together." And they're like, "How does that work?" And I'm like, "We're just got to buckle up and." see how it goes and they they got it down they definitely had a, a pretty cool pretty cool act it was and i mean so many iconic songs from all three of them so i didn't there was some i didn't even realize was them i was like wait what and it's just cool seeing each one of them play each other's music too i mean it shows that they you know obviously have a really tight friendship there to come together like that but you know to do each other you know, the justice of, uh, you know, just killing it on stage for each one of their, each other's songs was cool to see. hundred percent. And everybody wants to be able to sing to an outdoor concert, right? Um, you know, if you, if you are jamming to it, right, you're definitely into it. Uh, I love, yeah, to your point, right. The entire set list was absolutely stuff that you had, you knew, uh, even when we had all American rejects last year, you know, maybe you knew three songs, four, right. Out of their whole set, you know, the top 10 stuff. Now nah, these guys had, like almost the entire set list, like you pretty much knew. Well, um, what you saw. Yeah. Yeah. It was awesome. No, you, you guys did a great job on that. That was, that was amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So many people are involved underneath the hood to making that happen. We had a lot of people kind of volunteer uh, their time to help us like get people on buses and check people in uh, and like kind of make it feel good. Uh, thank you to all of our underlying communities and sponsors and volunteers. Like it just takes a lot of effort uh, and we hope everybody enjoys it. Right. Um, you know, it's for the entire community, you know, whether you're you know involved or not. And uh, you know, we hope to continue these, right. I mean, even though they're a lot of work, right. They're, it's a good time, right. Kind of like a celebration to end the year. Absolutely. And it's fully worth it. <laughs>
absolutely. I mean, everyone works so hard all year long. You know, you're going to shows, you're doing the training, you're trying to work on your business. It's good to let go every once in a while. And and this is definitely one of the better outlets that you can do it at for sure. hundred percent. All right. So Brett, I've known you for feels like 20 years, but uh, I, for people who don't really know about your journey, right? I mean, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that, right? Kind of tell people how you got involved in the sandbox, what that, you know, kind of path looked like, and then we'll, you know, we'll, we'll end up on current times, right, on what's happening today. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, it is a long story. You know, it starts in 2004, where, you know, I was, what, 19 years old at the time, and started at an MSP. I was really big into just computers and stuff as, the, you know, kind of growing up and fixing them. Um, and I got involved with an MSP out of Toledo, Ohio, uh, called Nemesis. Nemesis is still around. I'm still good friends with everybody that works there. And um, I go back to Toledo because that's where I'm from. I'm in Tampa now. But started as a uh, automation technician there, um, writing batch files, VB scripts, stuff like that, where I could see, you know, back then you would you would typically have like a login script that would trigger, you know, mapping some drives, mapping the printers, you know, doing all that work. You know, that was me behind the scenes because back then I was very, very antisocial, very geeky, nerdy, um, didn't want to talk to the customers. So the technicians would talk to the customers and I would just, you know, fix the stuff um, and but try to do automation the whole time. And with that kind of talent and uh, being able to code and whatnot, we started creating because we saw really early on we didn't like driving trucks uh our customers were basically like hey why am i paying you to come out on site takes you 30 minutes and then mileage and all that stuff so we're like well what if we could just run brett's scripts remotely you know that would be great uh so we started making what was referred to back then as nem service and it was nemsis and service you know together and it was a uh, something that we were capable of doing that other MSPs uh, in the area couldn't do. Like we can fix your stuff faster than you, you know, so go with us and, you know, time to remediation and things like that were always important to us even very early on. So we kept coding it, coding it, making feature after feature after feature. Um, and then at that point uh, we started realizing like, hmm, why are we selfishly keeping this just to us? We could potentially resell this. So we gave it a name, lab tech. And uh, started to go to market with lab tech. Uh, and what was really cool is as a software engineer, like a full-blown software engineer at that time. So this is probably around 2008 is probably so from 2004. First of all, I was an unpaid intern. Didn't start getting paid until around 2008. Um, but at that point, I was living in the MSP still, seeing all the problems they were having. And we were just coming up with feature after feature after feature. So me, Greg Burke, others, Matt Nochtrop, we all just kept like, what else can we add? What else can we add? What else can we add? And it turned into this absolutely amazing, powerful, very customizable system platform uh, that's highly integratable and all those things. Um, and it started getting attention. You know, at, at that point, we probably had like one actual paying customer and everybody else just play with it. Just use it for free. Um, and just kept again, just kept adding to it. So, I mean, for so many years, it was literally just making it. Uh, we knew about other competitors and stuff like that, but we didn't really think about it that way. And then uh, right around the 2009 timeframe is when Arnie Bellini found us. Um, 
And the reason he found us is because we got a MSP out of the UK, um, Johnny Walker. He's still around, I think. But um, he was our very first kind of international person to use the product on our very shady website. And he said, you know, if you don't integrate to PSAs, you're never going to go very far in, in the channel. And we're like, what's a PSA? So we looked it up <laughs> and it's like, oh, at the time it was like commit CRM, ConnectWise, Autotask, TigerPog, you know. Um, so we're like, okay. And so we wrote an integration, the ticketing and customer sync integration over a weekend and put it out there. And it was, you know, super simplistic and awesome in that case. And it got a lot of attention at that point. Um, Arnie found us. I guess he got in a fight with Kaseya or something. I don't know the full story, but at the time, like it was Gerald Blackie that was the CEO and he was looking to compete and he found us just a bunch of, you know, guys out of Toledo, Ohio, making this thing called LabTech, uh, invested in us in 2010. And man, I'll tell you what, the journey between 2010 and now, that's when everything started really exploding and Brett had to come out of his shell and, you know, basically strap onto the rocket ship that Arnie created at ConnectWise and just hold on for dear life and try not to, you know, fall off. And those, those are really exciting times. Um, that's, yeah, actually I'll pause about, there. that's actually about the time that I ran into ConnectWise as George MSP. Uh, and that's like, I was, I, I think I was a very, maybe even the top 50 or maybe less people who I originally had adopted ConnectWise manage hosted right like the cloud what turned into the cloud version and then maybe like a couple weeks after i i, I turned i bought that i bought LabTech, right like it was like a one-two punch i, I almost argued that i learned more about how manage worked from LabTech than the other <laughs> way around but i digress um and yeah i mean it was like that like 2010 2011 2012 right like that you know, where things were just like <clears throat> graduating from just ConnectWise's core product to like all these other solutions kind of rolled in. That was exciting times, man. That's where things really started to like rocket ship, like you said, right? Just change the industry kind of went faster. Yeah. I mean, Arnie saw something early where he saw, you know, his kind of thing was, um, you know, the modern office, so to speak. And he also thought like our tool set should be like the Microsoft office for MSPs, MSP in a box, like every tool you need can come to one place. Um, and he saw that very early on and started bundling things together like that to help MSPs really run their business. And, you know, he pioneered that whole kind of vision there. And it was what was really cool about it is that he left it on the passionate individual product owners and like us, like it, when he would acquire companies like Quozel and Screen Connect and, you know, LabTech, like he left that team intact and said, you guys have the passion for your product line, go at it and just be the most creative you can, but do it in this like world where ConnectWise PSA is the center. Um, so just make sure you're, you're making that a true statement. And he left us alone. And I think that's a lot of, you know, the reason we were so just absolutely wildly successful in those years was because of that just deep level passion for what we were doing, being involved with the community, growing IT Nation. I mean, when when I went to IT Nation 2009, before we were even acquired, it was relatively small. 2010, it started kind of getting a little bit bigger. We had our first little breakout lab tech 
before it was called Automation Nation. It was like the pre-day. And then in 2011s when we had like Automation Nation, you know, we were legit at that point and just growing those communities. And, and you know, the way we looked at it is Automation Nation was very much about the technicians, the nerds, the geeks that are like using the tools, the day-to-day and helping service the customer. And like IT Nation was like, the business owners and being able to operationalize your business and, and billing and all of those things. And I think that created really good, healthy communities in both routes. Uh, you know, I was always the one geeking out with the, the technicians. That's why I loved automation nation. That's no longer anymore, but they are bringing it back. I don't know if you heard that announcement at uh, I, I, IT I, nation last week. I, I didn't, I mean, I didn't catch it at the conference, but I, I was talking to many people afterwards and they were saying that it's now officially coming back. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's news to me. And I was like, when's it happening? They're like, I think somebody said February. I was like, that's really around the corner. Yeah, it's really soon. Um, I, I was kind of shocked at how quickly like you announced it in November. And then you want a whole bunch of people to come back in February. But, you know, if it holds, you know, it's kind of iconic value of technician training and using the tools better and being more efficient. I mean, it's kind of a no brainer as a business owner of an MSP to be sending your text to, to go learn that, uh, you know, MSPs pay a lot of money for all these different vendors and tools. Uh, it's very important. You're using the fullest amount of that tool. I always used to have this thing and I think manage does too, but you know, people are only using 20% of lab tech or people are only using 20% of manage. And it, it's just a shame because all of those features that were added were strategically targeted to help you like mature your business operations and the only reason you're not doing it is because one you're not taking the time to learn it so go to the event and actively try to learn it two like actively implementing it and looking at your operations and taking the time people just tend to be too busy but it's uh yeah it's crazy you know one of the things that people always said was you know they they lacked an internal resource to like script out the things, right? I think one of the things a lot of the vendors tried to do their best of was like kind of pre-can things for you, right? So you could just plug it in, download it, and just let it run. And like that was cool to like get that product going, you know, to, to quickly, right? But as far as like, to your point, getting the full power out of it. And, and by the way, not just a lab tech issue, right? I just generally any of the tools out there. And even some of the Microsoft stuff that's since popped up, right? Lighthouse and Intune and all that other stuff, right? Like, I don't know, like, and I'm just picking your brain off the cuff here, but like, do you see it getting easier or is it more, hey, just like the MSPs needed to adopt dispatching, for example, right? They need to adopt a DevOps style role or an internal centralized tools type person to really get the maximum value. Do I think it's going to get any easier? So, you know, what's interesting is like the actual operations of an MSP since I started back in 2004 really hasn't changed that much. What's Mm -hmm. changed is all these tools in technology. And I know, you know, for the longest time, and I still see it, like people are grouping tools together, creating one platform that does like 50 things. And I think that is with the intention of you only need to use one thing and it's simpler, but that it's still just simple and technology needs to evolve quickly and problems, new technology solves new problems, which then creates this whole, 
well, now there's a hundred point solutions in the ecosystem. Which one do I use and how do I master it? And then three years from now, it's like, oh, there's another one that does that, but better. And like, I got to master that. So is it getting easier is a tough question to answer because, you know, I've been in like the software world now for a really long time. And I try to relate it to the software engineers here. So your technicians and my software engineers, they have the same problem. What is it? The problem is, well, in the software world, the, the languages are changing. The technologies that they use to interoperate between different systems is changing. And how they do REST APIs versus, you know, whatever APIs, blah, blah, blah. And then over here in the technician world, it's like, okay, Microsoft changes something daily. You know, Google's changing all these things. There's 150 different tools you need to master. And guess what? School didn't teach you any of them. So I don't know. I don't know that it's going to ever get easier. I think what's important is to always stay curious, very, very curious. What else is always out there? How could that help me solve my problem just a little bit better? And is it a better tool? And then as usual, uh, you know, in the ecosystem, it's always about negotiating on price and getting the best price. Why? Because your customers are very finicky to price adjustments and price increases and, you know, they're the S&B. They don't like big bills, and but the MSP needs to make money. So making it affordable is critical. You know, where a lot of this, these sophisticated tools, you start looking at, you know, I heard the other day, you know, CrowdStrike is like moving into the MSP space. CrowdStrike is not cheap. And, no. you know, for an MSP to try to push that, it's going to be interesting. I don't know if they're going to change their pricing model or, or just super mega large MSPs can use this because they can afford it. But your average Joe Schmo MSP, that's not meant to be offensive or anything, but, you know, the average size MSP is not going to be able to afford that, you know, and, and I think Sentinel-1's doing a good job. I think Huntress is doing a good job, you know, making it affordable for MSPs. It'll be interesting. Uh, I'll yeah. see how that kind of plays out. But that's another super complicated tool. Another thing for the technicians to go figure out and make sure they master. So, 100%. I mean, listen, <clears throat> I would hope that they out with something maybe you know a lighter version of their platform that's a little bit more price conscious but i don't know i if the pricing is between 30 and 40 dollars an endpoint i mean even if you took all of your products and dumped it into the bucket do you actually get to that um probably not no um, probably not so yeah you know like this comes back to your point right which is at what point do you hit a little bit of a glass ceiling, right? On how much you can increase your price to your end customer without them saying, I think I'm paying too much, right? Should I go start looking somewhere else and see if I can get a better price? And then, you you know, and then of course the, you know, the dominoes start falling, right? What you're offering and what the other guy's offering sound the same on paper, but in reality, usually don't match up. Right. Um, and this is, you know, so MSPs that get caught up in that and they keep increasing their prices like, well, you know, I'm charging my customer. You know, I know some people are diehard. You start at $300 a user and you know, you start at that. And when I say that to some people, they're like 300, none of my customers would pay that. You know, and it's like, they're so cost. It depends on where you are geographically, right? Like <laughs> it's just, it's tough. So when you get stuck into being too expensive, yes, you're probably super profitable depending on how you've managed that, but you're susceptible to other MSPs that are, could be using 
similar tools, not as expensive, but they're getting the job done. They can say the same thing to your customer and the customer feels safe and they're getting 20%, 30% you know, discount from that. That's going to be tough to compete with. And a lot of people are going to be like, well, I'm the better MSP. You'll see. And then when that MSP actually does a great job at the lesser rate, you're in trouble. And now you're stuck with these super expensive tools. So you definitely, it's a balancing act. Um, and it's always something to constantly look at. You should always be evaluating your kind of stack, so to speak. And is there a way to optimize that? Uh, and I talk to a lot of investors who look at buying MSPs and what's the very first thing they do every single time any MSP is bought, they immediately go to every single tool that they use and renegotiate the contract on the software to get it cheaper. And now, boom, you just made that MSP so much more money and you, you basically took it from the vendors. Um, yeah. And it's like, it works every time. works every time. Um, you well, know, I mean, but, but, food for but, thought for everyone already out there that, you know, you don't need an volume, investor to do that. Volume counts, right? I guess the investor has the, hey, I've now acquired 10, 20, 30 of these, right? So they have a little bit more bargaining power than just one at a time. That is true. Uh, that is 100% true. Absolutely. Yeah, and they're and they're bringing them together pretty quick. I don't. I feel like every time I go to an IT nation now, I run into somebody that's looking to buy somebody. You know, it's just it's crazy. Definitely a concentration. One thing's for sure, I do keep on like more now than ever, and I, I'm curious what your opinion is on this because you talk to a ton of people too. <clears throat> it started off with like it was rare to find a one, two, three man MSP doing a couple million dollars just with less than five people because they just super automated, right? Because they had the, the, of the two or three people in the company, they were just constantly banging away until they got things to a point where like, it was, uh, you know, less human being time in order to accomplish the same thing. But I feel more and more now, I can find sub 10 users, sub five, five user technology companies, IT service companies, men service companies, whatever you want to call them, who have actually been able to achieve that idea, right? Like they actually were able to say, Hey, I got to 1,500, 1,800, 2,000, 2,500 endpoints where you have 15, 18, 20 people. We're doing it on three, four, five. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, I would I would relate that directly towards um, they've done a good job at creating an automation culture. I talk about that a lot with people. Um, being able to sit down on a Friday afternoon when things calm down, there's no more tickets coming into service desk and doing a review of the tickets, seeing what type of work they're doing, and then looking, you know, having either a dedicated automation person, or there's companies out there now that will literally, you know, like an MSP is helping service SMB for their tech. There are consultants that will help you as an MSP with these things. So look for opportunity where you spent way too much time. If your techs are actually tracking their time properly, which I know a lot of people still have problems with that and then find a way to cut that down um, a lot of people will say you know tech to endpoint ratio they're they're monitoring you know how good are they doing one tech to 150 endpoints or one tech to 300 endpoints or whatever it might be um, I think these are all important things to be reviewing at all times because that behavior that maturity doesn't happen overnight um, and the things to be like kind of optimized changes too. Like sometimes you're going to start doing new work, new things that you didn't do before. So yes, I see that a lot, but you know, I, I don't 
know that I see it enough. I, I still think a lot of MSPs, I would I would argue the mass majority don't do anything like that. It's all muscle and feel. And they just, they have this ratio that when they have so many tickets coming in, it's like, oh, I got to hire another tech instead of like analyzing the tickets or the volume. And then they go, but I can't afford another tech. Well, you can't afford it because you probably never even looked at how profitable each of your customers are and do it that way. Like how much money do you spend on each customer, aka you need to know how much time you're spending on them versus how much they're paying you. And look at that customer by customer. And the customers you're losing money on, you kick them out. The customers, or you optimize somehow, you renegotiate contract, you figure it out. <laughs> and I guarantee you, if you're always making a certain percentage above um, you know, on each customer, you will always be able to afford the next technician when that, you know, bar gets hit uh, because you know you're making money. And it, it's that. just, and these are all things you learn at IT Nation, at any of these shows. You know, people talk about this constantly. Um, it's just getting out there and, and having the conversation and just asking. A hundred. One, one other thing that's worth mentioning, I want to take your opinion on, and then we'll kind of fast forward your story here is, there's like this next level of things that have come out, you know, like what, you know, they call it RPA, right. Whether you want to call it, you know, Roost or Pia, or there's other companies also do it out there. I think another company called Electronique and a couple of these guys where they're like, Hey, you're just going to take all of your things. You're going to connect it to our brain. And then we're going to just, you know, we're going to already have all those API calls embedded. And then we can actually go through, I feel like what the original concept of the RMM was supposed to do, but now in a, in a, in a more intelligent way, I guess is the way to say it. Like, do you, where do you see that going? Well, I, I actually, I'm a huge fan of what Roost has made. And what's also funny about that, I'm still in Tampa, by the way, and Roost's office is, I could walk over to it. It's like right down the hallway. I don't know if they know that, but if any of anyone from Roost is on here, come say hi. Uh, but the those that was actually something that whole concept was something we talked about we used to call it a workflow engine but it was like a multi-product workflow engine which is exactly what roost is and there's other tools that do that uh, we don't need to name drop just the one but uh, i i genuinely think that's a future but there's a big asterisk to this there's a huge asterisk and why do i say that because you called out the rmm lab tech in my opinion you know, obviously, I'm going to be a huge bias, ConnectWise Automate, whatever we want to call it, huge bias. But the script engine was so powerful and what it could do, people were intimidated by it. We created a whole community. Um, you know, they used to be called Lab Tech Geek. They're now MSP Geek. Uh, these, those were some of the smartest scripters I've ever met in my entire life. And the things that they made were incredible. Like even way back when. They were making it so when a ticket would fire off a monitor, it would trigger a like phone call, an automated phone call using some API service that they were paying for to call the customer that would tell them, hey, we see that you're low on disk space. We need to run maintenance on your machine. Press one if you allow us to do it now. Press two if you want us to do, schedule it later. Press three if you want us to give you a call and we'll do it that way. Um, and then they hit one, two, or three, and then the script would move on and and, and which was crazy. It was a cool, one of the cooler things I've ever seen. This is exactly what these automation tools are doing, but so much easier. But I think there's so few people that truly understand that flow that they're mm -hmm. going to have trouble with content creators, which is why, I don't know if you noticed this, but they're like hiring people that are just, all they do is make automation. 
Like, think of a, a workflow and make it so that it could be part of our library. It's kind of like what you were talking to, you know, shortly ago around out-of-box experience. Yeah. Right? You can't just give an MSP an empty canvas and be like, hey, go spend hundreds of hours figuring out how to do this. Um, you got to see them with something. Uh, so out-of-box workflows that they have for onboarding. They got one for onboarding that's really cool that connects all your systems up. Um, so it automatically creates the Microsoft account. It automatically you know, sets this up, that up, and all these things. And just you can dream it now. And it doesn't matter what product it's in. You can, you can talk to it. Um, so I do think that's the future. I think it's a complex future. I do think they're doing the right thing at, on content creators and creating a, um, a community around building automation on their platform so other MSPs can benefit from that, right? Uh, which is super important. We've always been a community-driven kind of ecosystem where everyone's helping everyone. It doesn't matter. You're a vendor. You're a you're an MSP. Like everyone keeps helping people. There's not a lot of like cutthroat. I mean, there might be a couple in there sprinkled, but you know. Uh, no, I, all... I I think I think over time, right? Things have evolved, but just like some things change, some things stay the same. Um, I feel like as much as all the MSPs out there say, hey, I always struggle to find, um, you know, people, right, to either bring into the company net new or have the advanced skill set past, you know, somebody that they're bringing in as a junior person trying to build up, you know, like there's probably less people that, you know, you would consider automation centralized tools per people than there are the front lines people, right? And so unless you are going to farm somebody up and get them into that chair, you got to go out there and find them. And the good people usually don't move, right? They usually are pretty, pretty anchored. Yeah. I think that's where, you know, culture comes in. If you're going to try to hire someone of that caliber and hopefully, you know, they're, they're really good, but they're paid really well. Maybe you can't afford them, but you can give them a better atmosphere or whatever. Um, but something that I've seen, work really well over the years for a lot of MSPs is they'll like link up with their local college and go specifically like pull in interns. This is how I started back in 2004. I was an intern. I was going to University of Toledo and um, pulled in, you know, for in my case, I was, I was going for software development, but you can go for any computer science degree. I found if you're going to do the automation stuff, you definitely need somewhere out someone who wants to do coding because it's like a different mindset versus someone that likes to build out the networks and play with the hardware and and all those things which is which is like your standard you know kind of tech um but that mindset bring them in sometimes you can get them for free sometimes you pay them a little bit but then you can like foster their growth you can target them on very specific things at low cost and as they create more and more automation for your company, their value is more and more greater because they're effectively saving you time. Time is money. And now your tech to endpoint ratio could go up using tools like Roost and things like that um, could just completely operationalize your business. The smaller you are and the more you can support, that's the gold mine, right? That's where you start rolling. Um, and then it comes down to sales and marketing after that. And a lot of people struggle there too. hundred percent on that too. So let's fast forward in your journey, right? Like started at Nemesis, you're like at the literally ground floor of what became lab tech and then connect automate. You know, at some point you find yourself 
at Zorus, right? You left, yeah. you, know, you came on board to Zorus. Um, kind of similar story, right? Ground floor, right? Starting a new project, which, you know, some people love that startup culture, by the way, right? They're like, hey, you know, like I drove this thing. It's in good hands. Let me go try a new project now. Um, would love to hear like what, what interests you going, you know, to Zorus specifically, because there were so many companies to choose from, I'm sure, uh, based on your background. And then, you know, like where have you taken, you know, like this new concept startup till like current day? Yeah. So I think, um, so I left ConnectWise last February. It was actually on my 11th, wait, 2010 to yeah, so 12th, 12th anniversary, the exact day that ConnectWise acquired LabTech, I guess February 14th or February 11th, something like that, was the, the day I left. And, um, you know, I'm going to start with one, I love ConnectWise, I love the products, I still have a huge passion for it, I will always support it, all of those things, um, you know, I, I grew up there, I really, really have a large passion for that. Um, what changed for me is, you know, ConnectWise is a lot bigger than, you know, just like you're just saying, like a startup, you get, you know, everybody like mm -hmm. at a startup, you, you have these relationships. That's really strong. There's a lot of passion. ConnectWise got really big. Um, I, I, I like being a part of the team and being located roughly in the same place, all those different things, being in an office, I'm in an office now. Um, you know, those things matter to me. That doesn't mean that's why I left ConnectWise and we'll leave that alone. But I, I just think, I wanted to be able to drive my passion. I have a lot of energy left. You know, I'm getting older and I still look young, but I'm getting older. Um, and I'm driving all that passion into something. Um, and Ian McCord approached me uh, early last year to kind of look at, you know, what he's he was doing here at Zorus um, and getting involved. And I saw what they were doing and I was like, wow, this is, this is really cool with some TLC this could go somewhere. This thing has legs and I feel like I can dump my energy into this and make something big and potentially like for this case, you know, now becoming CEO for Zorus, it's a step in a direction I never thought would ever happen to this 19 year old intern script kitty that was making batch files, you know, back in 2004, never thought of it that way. And so my, the growth potential just kind of exploded from that perspective and it's made me you know have a very large appreciation for other CEOs out there like yourself and founders and things like that that go through certain struggles and seeing certain certain things with the business and operations and how much money you spend and all these things and getting exposed to that plus the board here has been very very cool for me in that regard all while getting to create something very cool so Zorus is, um, in, in my humble opinion, going to be a budding security platform for the, the MSP space. Um, right now, the bread and butter of the product is a filtering product. We do DNS filtering, which is super boring. I get it. Um, but we do it in a new, beautiful way that helps empower MSPs to um, have better conversations with their customers. And where we're expanding on that is what we refer to as cybersite. But it's being able to see 
kind of the usage patterns of people and identifying if someone is being socially engineered at that moment and they're doing things they don't normally do, or they're just a malicious employee because they found out maybe they're getting terminated and they start doing stuff because they're a privileged access user. They start doing stuff they don't normally do, uh, which could be dangerous to the business and so on. Or they leave their computer unlocked. We got those stickers, my favorite sticker. For those of you who know, you know, um, but they leave the computer unlocked. Someone walks up and starts doing things um, on the machine because it was within the 10 minute, five minute window of auto locking, right? This is why you should always lock your computer when you walk away from it. I don't care if it's even for 15 seconds. Um, so yeah, it, so those data insights, you know, where we're going is to be able to detect that. And because we also own the internet, we're gonna lock down the internet. That device is effectively not capable of communicating to anything, not on the network or off the network, except for, your RMM tool. This allows you to continue to stay remote, um, and, but also identify what the heck was going on. So let's say Sentinel-1 is alarming on, you know, George, your device, all of a sudden something's going on. It believes that there's a breach, something is happening. Um, we could be able to tell you, the, we can empower the MSP to go to their customer and say, well, George was doing, you know, a Zoom webinar during that whole thing. So clearly it wasn't him. Um, you know, something else got into this machine's in some other way. Or maybe you were doing something leading up to it and you were going to certain websites and then all of a sudden is when it happened. It's like, ooh, George, you made a big mistake here, buddy. Or you were doing something damaging and potentially, you know, a lawsuit could happen if, you know, you kind of get exposed in that way. So we call that cyber site. Um, and, you know, we're going to continue to expand on that into like a true user, end user behavioral analytics tool and it will probably be, you know, assuming we can do this in a, in a healthy amount of time to, to get to market, uh, be the first to market for the MSPs uh, in that regard. There's not a lot of insider threat detection and remediation tools for the MSP just yet, uh, especially at an affordable price. Um, and I think that's where we can really be disruptive. So that's my spiel. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, let's be honest, right? Um I think the explosion of all the security tools and then the services behind them, right? The socks, the knots, the, you know, the seams, the, you know, and a lot of them, some remediate, some don't. Part of it is because the MSP, once again, doesn't have the internal resources to actually figure out why and what and when, right? Usually when some sort of, I'm going to use the word incident, because that's probably the proper word, occurs. They don't understand how it happened, you know, what angle it came from. Maybe they can narrow it down, but like, you just don't have either the understanding of where to go look or the visibility into being able to consolidate all of this, you know, call it telematics or just logging from all these different angles. And I think that's part of the reason why they try, like, be a lot of people outsource that function now because they just don't have the in house capability to actually in a timely fashion, figure out what's going on. And you know, and I know that a lot of the times it's looking backwards, right? Like, I think part of the issue is by the time you figured out you have a problem, it's already too late. In a lot of cases, you can't yeah. address it in real time and say, wait a minute, I see a problem. Let's put some gates down and, you know, put some roadblocks up. And <laughs> I think part of the problem is, is that it is, I feel like a separate competency to some degree, right? Like, it is. Yeah, when, uh, when you, yeah, go ahead. 
Yeah, all, all the tools today that are logging into the SIM and things like that, it's all about processes and different services running on the machine and different things that are changing on the machine. Everyone's looking at the machine level and what the machine's doing. Uh, with us, what we're trying to do with CyberSight is who's watching the brain? Who's watching the person on the machine and what they're doing, actively doing? Um, and add that data to the rest of it, right? And we can fill that gap. Um, and to talk real quick on like the proactive versus reactive, just like in the RMM world, you'd have a monitor that would proactively watch the drive and make sure the drive doesn't fill up because you know when the drive fills up, the server crashes or something bad happens or you know people can't do their work. So you got to be proactive. Um, we want to do the same thing, but we want to we might not be able to detect it instantaneously that someone is doing malicious behavior, but the faster, like if we could do it within 15 seconds, like, whoa, this person's going to way too many things they don't normally go to, and they're all high sensitive URLs, lock this down. So maybe they got a couple in, but you know, we can shut that down as fast as humanly possible to at least mitigate the damage. Because yes, everything is after the fact. Everything right now is after the fact. If it made it to your sim, guess what? It happened. It's a log. The log of a thing happened. And so now you're looking back and figuring out how did it happen and help prevent further spread or further damage. Um, and again, you know, we want to add the data of the, the brain. Who's watching, who's watching between, you know, the chair and the keyboard, right? hundred percent. I mean, let's face it, the endpoint, I mean, there's a lot of cool tools out there, security and otherwise, but at the end of the day, the way that the person is consuming content and interacting is at the workstation, the laptop, the whatever, right? The endpoint. Um, that's usually where bad things happen, right? I mean, very, you know, I'm sure it's possible. Uh, and, and quite frankly, even outside of the endpoint, right? Like I keep on bringing up the MGM thing from a month and a half ago, right? Like, they just bamboozled the person on the other end of the line, right? There was no endpoint yep. there. They reset their password and then they were in. But it's not that often. And again, I'm not a security researcher or Matt Lee or any of those other smart guys out there. But like, how often are people actually hacking the perimeter to get in versus they're actually getting through the side door, the back door, because the person is actually involved in that in that attack? I would say the human beings think that's trickable, right? Uh, yeah, I, I, man, I don't have numbers and I'm not even going to try to quote them, but um, I have read articles where phishing or just social engineering, spear phishing, things like that are how people get in. They're tricking people, their brains into doing things. Uh, and these are privileged users. And I genuinely believe that generative AI, as that continues to mature, is going to get incredibly dangerous when it comes to social engineering. Why? There's already... I can make an avatar myself. Talk, how do you know I'm real right now? I could completely be like the generative AI and talking through that. You hear my voice. They only need three seconds of your voice and then they can mimic it, you know, fully. And then they, you know, any video they can sit there and analyze and then make an entire avatar. So I could be calling you, George, and saying, George, I need you to get into the bank account right now. And I need you to send me some of this money, blah, blah, blah. I need $500 gift cards or whatever they're trying to steal from people. But or just getting usernames and passwords like, hey, you know, I forgot my password. Can you help me out? And, you, you know, you send the resend password thing or who knows um, how that can be leveraged. But social engineering, in my opinion, is going to be the number one threat. Um, it's going to attack, you know. Uh, you know what I would refer to as the the respectable 
worker at your office and they just don't know what just hit them. And we got to watch that. We got to make sure that we're watching. And the only way you can watch that is understanding what are they doing on the machine right now? And is this normal behavior? Because why are they on the banking site right now? This person normally does banking on Fridays. And now all of a sudden it's Tuesday in the morning. That's, you know, a little sus. And again, we can just flag this type of behavior and be able to say, hey, do you want to isolate this? Is this normal? Do you expect this? Think of it like your credit card, right? So if you're going around the country and you're always in the same places, you're, you're at George's heading off to San Francisco to watch Philly and San Francisco play, and all of a sudden you get there and you swipe the card and you get this text message, hey, are you at blah, blah, blah right now? Is this yes you? Yes or no, yeah. Right? I want to create that experience with your behavior on your machine to help protect the business of, hey, this person's doing something, you know, we don't think it's them. Can you validate that it's them? Um, whether that's mm. a phone call, whether that's a, whatever it might be, or just you want to isolate them for now and, and then go figure out what's going on. But we want to create that credit card-esque block experience um, to help prevent anything from further harm happening to the businesses that's, that you serve. I mean, everybody knows that. Everybody's gotten the fraud alert, right? Whether it be text, email, phone, whatever. Um yeah, it makes actually perfect sense, to be honest. And let's, excuse me, also be honest. I, I don't expect that the, end, the, the user um, is ever going to be 100, right? I mean, you could do all the simulated training and the spoofed emails and, the, and there's a lot of cool tools that do that. But like somebody always gets caught. And to your point, usually the reason why people got fooled was it looked close to good, right? Like, like, but usually you'd be like, that seems a little blurry or that spelling isn't right. But if you have, you know, that this now automation available with, you know, with the, you know, generative AI, like you're saying, they can probably make it look correct. Yeah. You know, to the point where you're just like, that really does look like an Office 365 email or that really does look like a proper notice. And, and then you get, then you're in trouble. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's definitely scary. I think in the next five-ish years, we're going to be, the, the whole game of security is going to be very, very different um, in what you need to protect yourself from um, and make sure that you're not tricked. It's In my opinion, it's not even the emails, it's video conference calls. You know, they can generate a Zoom call. How do you know? Like, they can literally send you a Zoom link, say, hey, I need to meet with you. You click on it, you join a Zoom like this, and it looks like your CEO, and he's talking to you, sounds like him, looks like him, or her, whatever. And wow. then, you know, you get tricked, and they tell you to do something, you do it, and then, you know, you close the Zoom call, like, oh, yeah, you know, I just took a call from George, you know, it was fine. So that, I, I guarantee you, within five years, there will be someone that has been compromised because of that. That exact story is going to happen, I guarantee it. Wow, that's crazy. I guess the, yeah, then it comes back into behavioral patterns, right? Like, yes. Would, you, would your CEO send you a Zoom link rather than just sending you a call or calling yep. you or texting you or, or maybe use Teams and why is he sending you a Zoom? You know what I mean? Like these types yeah. of, like, you got to go next level, right? Yeah, exactly. Wow. I mean, that's it. Yeah. And it, that's now we got to train every single person to know what is the main tools that my, you know, boss, CEO, whatever uses and making sure that they're aware. And, you know, in times of, you know, toughness of uh, like economic reasons, I feel like education always gets cut first too. So now people are like, oh, I can't train my employees because I can't afford the platforms anymore because I need to like cut back on costs. So that's a risk. 
um, you know, with, with businesses yeah, too. So this goes a bit further than can you go out and get some gift cards for me? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which it's so funny. I like ever since uh, switching over into the CEO role here at Zorus, um, there's workers here now that get text messages saying it's Brett. And it's like, who? it says it, it literally signed, Hey, I need you to grab me some gift cards or something like that. Or, Hey, it's Brett, you know, chief executive officer of Zorus. Like who, who sends text messages like that? Um, and then of course they being who they are as software engineers trolled these guys real good. And that's always fun. They're sending pictures like, Hey, do you like my Halloween costume and all this stuff? So if you ever That's do funny. find yourself in there, you should definitely waste their time. One hundred percent. Make sure you waste their time. That's hysterical. We should. We should. That. That. I, I know we can probably run a couple of different things off of that. Straight up reality TV. Uh, kind of on the the home stretch here, right? So, sounds cool what you're doing at Zorus, right? Sounds like there's some check boxes and some net new kind of tech that you're in the middle of putting together. Um, so I assume people can go to where to yeah. find out information yeah so yeah check us out on linkedin um for zorus z-o-r-u-s uh check us out on facebook you know follow us where we kind of give updates and so on uh zorustech.com is our website where you can review kind of what we do and um you know you can always reach out to me too yeah i'm i'm friendly and you know bchell off at zorustech.com hit me up i'm willing to chat to anybody been around a long time I love talking about the channel and the tools in the channel and, um, you know, MSP struggles and things like that really fascinate me. It's been my life the whole time. Uh, wealth of information both ways. I love learning from you guys and current issues. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's I think that's it. Uh, I always get worried that I'm not saying the right things because then, you know, our marketing team will just yell at me <laughs> for not saying, hey, you ah. forgot about socials. I always forget about socials. So, yeah, I, I mean, LinkedIn and you did it all. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I mean, I assume because you're in that kind of Tampa bubble, right? Like, you got to be, I, I, you know, you get it. So many events that happen in that, you know, Florida in general, right? I feel like for every one event outside of Florida, there's an event in Florida. But I, you know, like you guys are on the road, right? I mean, you know, I assume we're going to see you. I guess the, the next closest thing could be Automation Nation, maybe. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that I got the perspectives of that one yet, but I do know the. I think the first one we're going to is Zero Trust World, maybe Threat Locker okay. might be the first event next year, um, which is in February. February. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know, man. Now, I, now I got to pull from memory, and I'm, uh, that's not my strong suit. <laughs> Everybody's in that time of year where they got to like figure out what's happening next year, right? Because it's like right, right around the corner. Yeah. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. We're, we're in the same boat too, man. We're, we're put, we, we, you know, we, you know, we started consolidating everybody's stuff and we're like, okay, now, like, what are we looking at? Right. Cause like I said, or in the beginning of this call, like definitely almost, I actually, there's a little over 300 events just here in the U S this year. If you consolidate all of them, uh, I know that sounds staggering, but it's true. Um, then you take in some of the international stuff and it gets even crazier. So Plenty of stuff to go to. Um, question is, what makes the most sense? That is the devil in the details. Yep. Like, you know, by the way, not, you know, absolutely, I'm sure you'll be at IT Nation next year, but that's a whole year away. So yep. plenty of stuff between now and then. Right. Awesome. Awesome. I, I love your story, right? Like you're in the middle of probably the, you know, most exciting part of, you know, 
this last period, right? Um, and I, I really loved being, you know, on, on the MSP side, because that's where I started off, like a lot of other people. I really love being on the other side of that, right? Seeing that unfold. It was definitely good times. Um, the future is interesting. I don't think it's fair to look more than a year or two at a time, right? Because things change so damn quickly um, from a technology standpoint. But to your point earlier, I think the MSP business hasn't changed all that much. Um, and quite frankly, I think, you know, it's kind of matured a little bit to the point where like now there's a little less guessing and a little bit more, Hey, here's what successful looks like. And here's what bad looks like. And, you know, go one way versus the other. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah, Thank completely agree. Thanks for jumping on guys. This session was 1000% recorded. We'll post it up at mspinitiative.com under session shortly. You guys can rewind. Definitely. Like I can't encourage you guys enough. Every time we get to the end of these and people are like, here's how you can contact me actually reach out to them, right? Like I wish I reached out to more people earlier on in my journey instead of having to figure it out the hard way. Like there's so many people willing to help you. Take advantage of that. I promise that that usually pays off in dividends. Uh, so check out mspinitiative.com under sessions. Check out zorastech.com and all of the various social feeds so that Brett's marketing team really likes you. Um, <laughs> we will continue these sessions until the end of the year. So thank you for joining in. We obviously send these out uh, afterwards. And keep, you know, keep tuned in, right? Because then we can start to give you a little bit of an idea of what's coming in 2024 uh, as like, you know, plans get solidified. And I don't think it'll take very long, right? Because everybody's in that in that planning stage right now. So stay tuned, uh, including us. Thanks for joining, Brett. Thanks, everybody else for watching this. Have a good one. Have a great day.